Welcome to the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman and glad to be with you once again. And I am very happy to on this Friday to welcome a special guest to our show. He is the host of the Dunk Dome podcast, as well as the Duncan and Hollinger podcast and the Lockdown Podcast Network. Nate Duncan has been kind enough to join us. Nate, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, I am doing well. Uh, we should give it the right name, though, Hollinger and Duncan, because John is much more distinguished than I am. He certainly deserves to be first <laughs> in that, considering well, he was he was basically my inspiration for getting into basketball media. So, uh, But thank you for having me on. This is uh, looking forward to this one. Of course, we want to give respect where it's deserved. And here in Memphis, obviously, we certainly do respect John Hollinger for all the great work he's done in general for basketball, but also for the Grizzlies. But, Nate, the, the main reason I wanted to get you on the show was because of, of just your, your great insight onto things. And I think that your insight especially would really stand out in this offseason, an offseason that you know is unprecedented as well as condensed, but it's just crazier than ever. And, and I mean, did you – have an inkling that it could get as crazy as it has been, but now with the Russell Westbrook trade, for instance, has it been even crazier than you anticipated? A little bit so, yeah. I thought that there was so much uncertainty and that teams might be a little bit loath to draw conclusions from the bubble. They might be a little bit loath to you know, make big changes without there really being fans and a lot of pressure that not knowing what the financial situation for the league and for individual teams was going to be. I thought we would see more of this stuff happening at the trade deadline. And no, it actually has been a fun, active off season, uh, more so than we thought the NBA never sleeps. And Nate, one area that you do have quite a bit of knowledge is when it comes to the salary cap in the NBA. And, and, you know, it seems just from, you know, being a fan of other sports, it seems like at the very least NBA contracts, the salary cap in general, it can be a bit more detailed, complex. But I think that that kind of indirectly allows for things to happen more frequently, such as trades or movable contracts and things like that. Do you feel that the way that the NBA salary cap and just, you know, the contracts in general, the way that they're set up with all the ins and outs, that aids there being the ability to always be an offseason where you have so many unexpected and significant moves? You know, it's uh, generally there's just been more of a culture of trading in the NBA. If you compare it to football, I mean, what is the football trade deadline? It's traditionally been what, like six, six weeks into the season? Whereas the NBA, you got a pretty darn good idea of what your team looks like. And I think there's just more uh, the fact that the draft in the NBA is a bigger part of uh, things and getting that one great player is a bigger part of things. Quite frankly, that tanking has kind of been a bigger part of things. That leads to more of a distribution of assets, I think, than it does in, say, the NFL where in the NBA, I think there's an acceptance of, hey, you know what? Like having that one or two stars really drives winning. If we don't have that, we got to get that. And so we're going to be bad for a couple of years. Whereas in the NFL, there's really, it's only very recently that teams have kind of accepted that that's their lot and that they need to rebuild as well. In the NFL, it was always everybody was trying to be absolutely as good as they could each year and think, you know, we can be the 99 Rams. We're going to go to the Super Bowl after finishing in last place the year before. And in basketball, you don't have like superstars come out of nowhere the way like a quarterback like Kurt Warner did, for example. And the season's a lot longer. You got a seven game series rather than one game each in the playoffs. And so all that means that you really have to build up to be a great team. And if you're not a great team, you have to accept that reality 
and try to build towards that. And so that means that the assets generally are going to go from teams when you have a good player, a good role player, say on a team that's not that good or a good player, you know, say like a Drew Holiday, for example, you know, if this was the NFL, they would just keep Drew Holiday around and then they would have the franchise tag to keep him around after that. Right. The fact free agency also drives all this. So I think there's many factors that lead to the NBA transaction period being a lot more interesting, but I'm glad that it is that way. It certainly is a lot of fun to cover. And you mentioned tanking, you know, it, it's kind of a, a word, a taboo word, you know, in some circles of the NBA, but it does, you know, there are ways that it can work. And it surprises me that with some of the teams this offseason that have been the biggest sources of the, the big moves, Washington now, Atlanta, you know, Charlotte, you know, with the, with the free agent signings and the trade for big names. Are you surprised these teams made the moves that they do? Could you make some sense of it? Um, especially considering, you know, in terms of those teams, it, it kind of made sense to try to get as good of a draft pick as possible in the next few drafts to, to really be sustainable winners. Well, it may be some evidence that the anti-taking measures that the league instituted for uh, the 2019 draft uh, have really had an effect and that it's not all about being one of those top three worst records you know, guaranteeing finishing with the worst record and guaranteeing yourself a top four pick that you can be a team that jumps up like the bulls or the lakers or the hornets have uh and you now have these four slots that you can move up and so that might be an indication that uh, those measures are working and also i think just what happened to sam hinky and him getting fired was probably like the best deterrent for that behavior but then you also have three owners you mentioned the teams all in the southeast division teams that have been relatively moribund but those are three owners it's really coming from the ownership level michael jordan has never really wanted to rebuild ted leonsis hasn't felt that way either and tony russell yes he did green light the rebuild but really two years in there was a feeling like they really needed to accelerate things i think it makes more sense in atlanta than it does in washington and charlotte because atlanta they at least you know can take a big step forward and potentially be a playoff team. And I also don't think that they did anything that hurts their long-term future. They have some building blocks in the long-term on the team already in Trey Young and John Collins and then some of the other guys that they drafted. Maybe the Herder, Cam Reddish, those guys maybe can hit as well. And so why not be competitive as those guys are developing? Whereas Charlotte, you know, you really only have one piece in LaMelo Ball, I think, who's like really a foundational piece. And in Washington, they do have Bradley Beal, and they're, in theory, trying to win around him and keep him around. But, you know, there's still going to be, you know, not a team that really has the upside of being like a serious contender in the Eastern Conference. So it does seem like a lot of it's coming from the ownership level. You know, whether hindsight will show that those are the right moves, you know, I think in Atlanta's case, it will. Charlotte, eh, you know, maybe, I mean, because what else were they doing with their space that you can only hurt yourself so much when they had so little on the books going forward? And then Washington, I think they will kind of rue some of these moves that they have made rather than embracing a, a more thorough rebuild. And I agree, it, it certainly does make sense. It's an, it's always interesting to see how teams approach the same concept and, concept. and of course, you know, we've been kind of on the same timeline in Memphis here as Atlanta has been with our own encouraging building blocks. And coming up, I'm going to spend a few minutes with Nate talking about Memphis specifically, getting his take on the Grizzlies' continued rebuild. 
Do you ever feel as you're making your way through the work week and especially the work day, it just seems like that there's a wall that gets in your way to really gets in your way to really get stuff done. Now, not only is it the energy, maybe to just get out of bed, start a big project you've you know uh, been uh, putting off, starting a life change that you know you need to embrace, or really getting through your day at work. I can certainly understand that. For me personally, it's getting back to work after a nice lunch. I, I love to eat a big lunch, and I just rather kind of chill and relax afterwards. But I know that I need to get back with my work day. Well, I have a solution for you that can help you break through whatever wall may be in your way, and that's BuiltGo. BuiltGo is the easy-to-take-in 1.5-ounce of workout gel, and it's the best workout gel on the market. It's like 5-hour energy without the same crass feeling, plus it's natural and better for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine. It comes with three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint, as well as the fact that it's loaded with great things that not only give you energy to make it through the day, but to be productive. It combines energy gel with collagen protein, and it's loaded a good with good stuff to ignite your work and keep you going strong. If you visit BillGo.com and use promo code LOCKED, that's promo code LOCKED, you'll get 20% off your next order. Uh, Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off your next order at BillGo.com. Let's go. The first part of the 2020-2021 NBA schedule has now been released. And on Monday here at Locked on Grizzlies, we'll break it all down. What are some really tough stretches for the Grizzlies and some opportunities for them to get some wins under their belt? With the absence of Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr., how does the schedule play out for the Grizzlies? And where could what are their chances to either get off to a hot start or could there potentially be a likelihood of struggle to begin this season? We'll break it all down and really look at where the the schedule stands out and what it means for the Grizzlies as they try to get going again in the 2020-2021 season for another pursuit of the playoffs. Catch our schedule breakdown on this upcoming Monday on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. So, Nate, you mentioned in Atlanta, you, you were intrigued by the, um, you know, building blocks, the inside-outside combination of Trey Young and John Collins, and not a direct comparison, but that's obviously, you know, the, the same type of concept the Grizzlies have here with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. From someone who knows the NBA and knows it well, um, and certainly an outside perspective on Memphis, your just general view of how the Grizzlies rebuild has gone over the past 18 months, and, and do you feel like many do, that it truly is one of the best young cores in the NBA going forward? Well, I think it, I, I do feel that way uh, with John Morant and Jaron Jackson. Now, I worry about Morant just due to his style, maybe getting hurt. And obviously, Jaron has had a couple of seasons now that have ended with injury. So that's a concern. But assuming those guys stay healthy, certainly that seems like a solid group. You would like to have one more really elite piece, I think. And then you could really start thinking about this group potentially as a championship contender if it all breaks right. Um, but I do think it's an interesting comparison to look at the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Memphis Grizzlies. And a lot of people say, hey, Memphis has done things really right. And I think they have. They had a really nice offseason in 2019, the Conley trade. I think they did a really nice job maximizing that asset. Um, but they had some lottery luck. And 2018 was a good draft. They were able to get Jaron Jackson. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers had that Nets pick. They didn't have the lottery luck, and they end up with Colin Sexton. And then 2019, Grizz move up again to be number two and get is basically a two-player draft in terms of superstars, and they got John Morant, who might end up being the best player in that draft. So you still do require some lottery luck, but you know to have had two bad seasons and two 
high picks and to hit on both of them, that's as good as you can hope to do. You could end up being Cleveland where, yeah, maybe you might take the wrong guy, but they also had, you know, five, five and eight instead of two and four. And, you know, Cleveland is really like Memphis could very easily be Cleveland if things had broken a little bit differently in the lottery. I agree completely, and, and and I don't want to sit here and say that it's all luck, but I also don't want to ignore the fact that they we we have been quite lucky. You know, everybody remembers the night we picked John Morant and Jaron. Well, I remember the lottery night in 2019 a little bit more. How excited I was! So I, I agree with you. Luck has certainly played a part. You mentioned that one other piece, Nate, and I agree with you. I think that we certainly do need that one other piece, especially when you consider, you know, what positions and what type of talents are having the most success in the NBA. I think a wing creator is certainly that that one piece, or you would think that at yeah. least a, a, a legitimate shooter for Memphis, potentially with the pieces that they've invested in to maybe use in a trade. Do you feel it's going to be better for them maybe in one to two years to get that wing creator in a trade or to perhaps see if they can really land that type of talent in the draft over the next few drafts? Yeah, I think this year is really going to tell us a lot about that. I'm in complete agreement with you, Sean, that they need to have one other guy. I mean, because I think there's the shooting, like an elite stopper on the wing, and then that second creator outside of Jaw. I mean, if you look at the absolute best teams, you're talking about this team getting to the highest levels to compete, having a guy with size who can complement John Morant as a playmaker, I mean, I think is probably the number one thing that really could push this team to an elite level. But they also need more shooting on this team, particularly when Jaron Jackson isn't available or is off the floor. And they also need a guy who, you know, I think Dylan Brooks tries really hard and I laud his effort but he doesn't have the elite type of physical characteristics you need to truly shut guys down in the playoffs uh, and they brought in justice winslow to be that guy you know the disturbing news that he won't be ready with this nebulous hip injury to start the season is, is a little concerning and you know but i think this year ultimately is going to tell us something about that and, and i think the grizzlies particularly with uh winslow and jaron probably out to start the season you know, they could be looking at a little bit more of a retrenchment year, and then maybe they get some lottery luck again this year, and it may even make some sense to kind of, you know, take it a little easier down the end of this year and, you know, finish 13th or, or 12th in the West and get up towards the top of, of the lottery again to get that next piece, particularly now that they've gotten rid of that obligation they had to the Celtics last year. You know, it wouldn't be the end of the world if this is a year where, hey, maybe John Morant looks awesome, but you know, he plays 30 minutes a game and there aren't going to be fans in the stands anyway. And then you can get that next piece in the draft because trading for it is, you know, it's tough to see those guys become available. And then this 2021 draft is also awesome with a ton of the type of wing creators that we we're just talking about. So uh, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world if the Grizz in the long term take a bit of a step back this year. That's actually music to my ears because I, I mentioned it. That's the beauty of the success we had last year. There's really no bad outcome to this season, and it actually could be more uh, fruitful for us to be able to land in the lottery again. And Nada will ask that question as well. You know, with our draft this season, it seems like that in terms of our defense, that with Clark and Jaron Jackson and now Tillman, you know, we've got a good trio of young defenders who, especially if you put two of them on the court, they can hold their own down low. But perimeter defense also seems to really emerge as an important trait to have in the playoffs. And, and I would think that that's something the Grizzlies certainly need to identify in that one added piece as well. 
well. Is that clearly one of the more important things to have once you get into the playoffs and start playing the best teams in the NBA in a series? You know, I think that's kind of, it's important, but it's also of secondary importance. I mean, you got to, to even get to the level where you're worrying about that, you got to get your offense up to a level that's really, you know, pretty close to elite top 10 type of offense, maybe even the possibility to get into the top five. So I still would be prioritizing as much as possible getting that next creator and, you know, maybe a little bit more shooting. That's obviously, I mean, I think they're really relying so much on Jaron Jackson's elite shooting to carry them when they just don't have enough of that at the other positions. So, yeah, I mean, they're all three of those things they really are going to need. And it's hard to find all of those things when you have a lot of these positions filled already. And it would also probably make it easier if Jaron Jackson could be your center ultimately and improve enough defensively and on the boards to get there. That opens up kind of another position where, okay, one of those guys could be a creator. One of those guys could be a shooter on the wing. And one of those guys could be a defender. Um, when you have Jaron at the four and then you're also playing a big center, now you've kind of, you're limiting your shooting and you don't have as many, you have to find all of these things all in one guy with only a two and a three position to fill. And that becomes a lot more difficult. So I think you know, a big part of what I'd be looking for from Jaron this year, once he finally is healthy is, is it realistic for him to play at the center position and then to have you know, three wings and John have that be your closing group. And, and again, you, you, you're, you're speaking the truth in terms of, of, of how I view things. I truly feel as if that um, next step for Jaron this year, um, you know, is, um, you know, the big storyline for the Grizzlies. And I'll just ask you straightforward, Nate, as far as when you see Jaron, it certainly seems as if you have a high opinion of what he can be on the court. Do you feel, um, you know, multiple-time All-Star, All-NBA type talent, Do you, and mainly because of his shooting as a big, do you feel that's his ceiling when it comes to, you know, over the next five to seven years in this prime? Yeah, I do. And to me, he has been well beyond anything that I think people could have hoped from an offensive standpoint as of right now, in particular, I mean, the shooting that he has, I mean, I've always remember just watching him in that first summer league game against the Hawks in Utah summer league. And he came out and I think he bombed. He was like eight out of 13 from three and just, you know, shooting like crazy on the move. And I'm like, Oh man, who is this? Like, we didn't know he could do this. Uh, and then you spent a lot of that next year in, in JB Bickerstaff system. They're trying to kind of toughen him up a little bit. He's playing more of the four that they didn't emphasize three-pointers as much. Um, but then last year, obviously, he was really bombing away with Taylor Jenkins. But he, frankly, it's been a disappointment to me on defense, which was supposed to be the big thing for him. He was supposed to be the 7-4 wingspan, great weak side shot blocker, could get out on guys and switch, could rebound. And he was drafted to be, I think, a center. That was the hope. And for... I think in all of those areas, he's really disappointed so far. So he does certainly have the physical tools to do that still, but he's going to need to start showing some progress. Like usually if you're going to be an all-world type of defender, you probably have started to show that by now. And I and I agree with you. The the that's the general thing about Jaron here in Memphis is that you know we're very impressed and and very pleased and surprised with the shooting. 
the small fundamental things are still a work in progress and also the consistency on defense um, is certainly something that we'd like to see more of. But one area where we have seen consistency that we're not used to here in Memphis is the front office. And I'm going to talk with Nate a little bit about that when we come back on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. The wait is almost over. The 2020-2021 NBA season is almost here, and the Locked On Podcast Network will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning on December 14th on the Locked On NBA Podcast. Get previews of every team, division by division, from all 30 of our Locked On local experts, including us here at Locked On Grizzlies. Plus, waiver wire additions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions on each division from rejecting the screen. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts. Nate, in the previous interaction that um, you and I had had, I had the um, pleasure of asking you a question uh, for a show that you um, were doing through the locker room app. And I'd asked you about, you know, what could the Giannis Antetokounmpo situation in Milwaukee mean for small markets? And, you know, basically the fallout that could come for rebuild small markets, can you know, keeping their stars. You know, what do you think is the biggest thing that comes into play when it comes to a either a rebuild being successful or a small market being able to be a sustainable winner? Yeah, I think for the small markets, a lot of it is not falling into this trap of we can't rebuild in this market, right? And it, it's funny because you hear that in like literally every market. You know, you sit, you've heard that in New York and you've heard it in Charlotte where it's like, hey, you know, like people we're not this big team. We don't have all this TV money. Like we got to get butts in the seats, et cetera. But really what it always comes down to is just the ownership and impatience. And if you're going to short circuit the rebuild, I think that's something that historically has kind of afflicted smaller markets a little bit more. And maybe that's just an accident where those specific owners don't have as much patience as owners in other jurisdictions. So that's one thing I think. The other thing is, I do think that a little bit too much is put on market size in the NBA. And I also think that a lot of the things that have tried to help small markets in theory haven't actually helped small markets to be competitive. They have helped small markets make more money, but they have not helped small markets necessarily to be competitive. The luxury tax is a perfect example of that, right? Like going back to the old luxury tax, which is only dollar for dollar when you get above the tax. Basically, anyone could afford to pay the tax at that point if you had a really good team. Now, though, it's cost prohibitive. It's a dollar fifty over the first five million, goes up incrementally every five million after that. So, a lot of the small market teams can't afford to pay the luxury tax. Whereas, if you're a good big market team, you see like the Knicks, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors. Those teams can still afford to pay the tax, even though it's a crazy amount. And the whole idea of like, oh, we're going to make the tax more punitive, that's going to help small markets. I think that's actually hurt small markets because big markets can still go into the tax when it's warranted. And many small markets feel that they cannot. So that's one thing that I think it sticks out to me also. But then I think it really comes down to just are you going to continue to be successful or not when you have those stars? If you do a good job, you can keep that guy around. If you don't do a good job, he's probably going to leave. And I think that applies just about wherever you are, you know, New Orleans, Anthony Davis makes the playoffs twice over the first seven years of his career. Yeah. Big surprise that he wants out Milwaukee. I, they've got a decent chance of keeping Giannis now. It seems like, but that's because they've been winning 60 games. 
the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think uh, Oklahoma City had a decent chance of keeping Kevin Durant because they were pretty good, but they ended up screwing that up because they wasted a bunch of their assets and didn't go into the tax to keep James Harden. And then they used picks on Deion Waiters and Ennis Cantor. And so I think you absolutely can keep guys like that. You know, Dallas wasn't like some big destination before Dirk got there, Tim Duncan in San Antonio, but those were really good quality winning organizations. So I still think it's more about the quality of the organization and keeping stars and how well you're doing when that guy comes up and is, you know, a year or two before his second contract is going to expire than just what market it is. We've seen a lot of guys who actually have really enjoyed being in small markets over the years. Uh, so that's what it really more comes down to to me. And I think that you, the phrase that really sticks out to that is the quality of the organization. You know, before we brought in Zach Kleiman, Jason Wexler, and obviously Taylor Jenkins before that, you know, the quality of the organization for the Grizzlies at times was questionable to the point our owner did get involved. Well, now when he brought these three in, you know, he basically, you know, Robert Paris certainly still is having an impact, but you, you haven't heard much from him. And I think that that's kind of helped out. He's trusting the people that have earned his trust to make these decisions to make it. And through those, especially with Kleiman, there's competence in the big moves. When you get lucky, you take the John Morantz. And then there's also the creativity in making the most of the Mike Conley trades, as you alluded to. So it just seems like sound management from the front office, no matter where you are, is the biggest thing that it's going to allow for you to be a sustainable winner, just on the level, on the same level as having talent on the court. I think that's what it comes down to as well. No, absolutely. I've been very impressed. I, I will admit to skepticism when Kleiman was first installed and there had been plenty of turmoil and you didn't really know exactly, you know, was it Chris Wallace you know, who, who actually was calling the shots in Memphis for a lot of the period. And there was this whole thing with Pira and the ownership thing with the uh, buy-sell provision and Steve Kaplan. It seemed like there was a lot of moving parts there and a, a potential lack of consistency and a lot of coaches coming in and out. And so I had some skepticism, you know, it didn't seem like Kleiman had the greatest resume in the world, but I think other than maybe the justice Winslow trade, which the jury is definitely still out on, although they understand why they did that, even if it took taking on $20 million, more than $20 million in dead salary for this year. But uh, I think largely they've done a pretty good job and they've really, uh, maximized their assets with the small moves and then they haven't screwed up uh, on some of the big stuff so i I think it is encouraging for grizzlies fans uh you know to also see again that they kind of all right we're just going to stand pat with our roster this year we don't need to go crazy with the mid-level exception we don't have to be like oh we almost made the playoffs last year like we got to fight to get in this year you know they're not short-circuiting the process i think it's all very encouraging and, and it certainly is, and we're excited to see it happen. You know, Nate, obviously one thing about Memphis is that it is a, it is a basketball haven. We love basketball here, and I know that there are several of our listeners and just people in general who certainly keep up with, with you know, your products and, you know, the content you put out through the Dunk Dome podcast, through Hollinger and Duncan. What type of things do y'all have coming up before the start of the season so our listeners can make certain, make sure to tune in? Well, thanks for asking. We launched uh, three, four weeks ago, my partner Danny, or three, four months ago, I should say, my partner Danny LaRue and I launched Dunked on Prime, which is a subscription service. And we also offer uh, updating salary cap sheets during transactional periods for that. And uh, 
we also have like daily links that we send out so you can basically keep up with everything that we're reading you know we'll include that in the links as well so it's basically everything that you need to keep up with the nba all those tools and then at least four podcasts per week subscription as well so that's probably the big thing and then obviously hollinger and duncan right here on the locked on podcast network and i do also a free podcast uh once a week with daniel LaRue on the old dunked on feed as well and the one last question i'll ask you nate is when it comes to the southwest division in general with all the young stars that are there how excited are you to see this division really stand out over the next few years yeah i love this the southwest division i mean it's traditionally been a really tough one there aren't really any weak sisters in that division and I just hope everyone can stay healthy. I mean, if Luka Doncic, John Morant, and Zion Williamson all stay healthy over the next five to ten years, I mean, I think that's just going to be an awesome series of rivalries. And that's the great thing about it. It's not just here in Memphis, which, of course, we're all hoping, you know, pans out as it should. But being in this division with all this young talent, it certainly uh, will be something to watch and see. For Nate Duncan, you can find him at Nate Duncan NBA on Twitter. Again, follow his great work over at the Dunked On Podcast, as well as the Hollinger and Duncan Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow our show at Locked On Grizzlies, myself at Stats SAC, and you can find all of these podcasts wherever you choose to find your podcast. For Nate Duncan, my name is Sean Coleman. It's been a pleasure, and we'll talk to you again soon here on the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On Grizzlies.